Hello and welcome to the one, the only, the most important podcast you've ever listened to in your life. There might be others, but this one will change you forever. Change your in life. ways good and bad. You will mark your life forever as before and after Normandy FM. A-N-F-M is, is what the kids are calling mm. it. It's the new thing. Mm. I am Eric Van Allen, joined as always by my co-host, Kenneth Shepard. How are you doing this week, Ken? I'm going to be totally real with you right now. Normally, in all of the years that we've ever podcasted, I do this thing where I get like full-blown dressed up like I would if I was going out. Like to get in the right, the right headspace, like totally focused on really what we're doing yeah like i i it makes me like elevate it elevates me to my best self but this week because i dressed down <laughs> this <laughs> this week because i assume that we're gonna have a fairly short episode this week i am in my pajamas i am in my oversized caden hoodie that i got uh-huh. in 2013 that i've just wear i wear as like pajamas every day and these uh guardians of the galaxy pajama pants that i have this it mainly focuses on rocket raccoon I, w- I could have done with some more Star Lord. He's got like one panel on here. It's like stylized, like comic panels. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's really comfortable. Breathes well. So, so that's what I'm talking about, man. Like ninety percent of podcasts that I record, I'm in a t-shirt and basketball shorts mm. every time because that's just like my permanent state of comfort. I've tried many other things. I get too hot in pajama pants. I don't know what it is, but I can wear like a long sleeve shirt and not get hot. The long sleeve pants, I get heated. So, okay, I got a question. Do you watch Netflix's Queer Eye? Uh, no. Okay. I've, I've never seen Queer Eye ever. Well, like I've never once watched it. Then I will say, first of all, you should fucking do it. But also, on this season, I learned that if you like hold clothes up to like natural light and you can see through them they're very breathable so you can do that with these Guardians of the Galaxy pants and like you can see straight through them and it's great so like I don't have any sweat going on here it's just it's all breathable and well, it's, it's not a sweat thing it's just like it's, it just get a little uncomfortably hot mm. like like around like the I don't know the the knee regions mm. and, and the, the nether regions mm. it just gets a little bit a little bit more heated than I prefer you know? that's fair so. that's fair I like I like the basketball shorts. They they breathe and they're comfy, man. Also, I've been in them for for years, man. Ever since I was in that sixth grade gym class, man. <laughs> so, dumping axe on myself like it was uh like it was nobody's business. Mm-hmm. Axe body spray. Whatever happened to that stuff? It's still around. They still make it. They still make mm-hmm. it. I feel like I went to a gaming convention the other week because I did. I don't know why I phrased it that way, <laughs> but I did go <laughs> to the South by Southwest gaming convention the other week, and Axe had a thing out, but. I, I didn't see them like hawking any spray. It was all like deodorant mm. and then like hair products. Majority which of I time. use an Axe hair product. Mm. I, I do every day. I use like an Axe hair gel thing. I don't have hair left but to they do were that. Doing, like so. hair dye for dudes and stuff. Mm. Oh, <laughs> okay. We need to gender our hair dye because apparently men have yeah. different hair. 
And look, I don't, I don't trust like if Ninja was like, this is the only hair dye I use, I'm gonna run the hell away from that because that looks like he just had a fucking dry erase marker blow up in his head. That fair. Like I'm a, I'm gonna go to somebody like you know Haley Williams. She knows what's what's up. Mm. She's got hair dye on lock. She knows what she's looking for. So. Right. That's our intro to this week, and the reason why we're so scatterbrained is because we got nothing to talk about, man. This is so little. Our notes are like the tiniest they've ever been. I feel like we should probably... even with me never posting them. Yeah, we should... <laughs> well, fair. We should probably start with the one that we've got the smaller notes for, just to get it out of the way real quick. Yeah, so this week we are wrapping up the loyalty missions. Uh, Not quite, but we... close enough. Well, uh, we're, we're wrapping up the ones that we have so far, technically. Well, no, we canonically podcast canonically we have recruited legion at this point yeah. so um even though when we played these i feel like these were some of the first deals or not dlc obviously dlc but some of the first loyalty missions i did mm. playing this game well, you get access because, to them right when you get the characters so yeah you get them right away and particularly one the one we'll talk about second there is a specific reason why i wanted to do that one early but uh the one we're going to talk about first it's about everybody's uh, favorite slab of burnt leather. Good um, everybody's lord. Favorite uh, dude who looked like he fell off the ugly tree, uh, Zaid Masani, and his loyalty mission. And now, Zaid, Zaid exists. Zaid is ostensibly a character in Mass Effect. But Zaid to me has always felt like when you see Hihachi in Soul Calibur or Spawn or Link in Soul Calibur and you're like, oh, they're there, but they're just kind of like they're showing up and they're in for the fun, but they're not really like involved in the goings on of what's happening. And, you know, the characters aren't like hanging out with them after the battle. There's not like any real story connection. Zaid is the guest fighter of Mass Effect. <laughs> Straight up, because I. This loyalty mission, like, really, like, playing it again really cemented it, and then, like, I got to the part in Mass Effect 3 the other night where you do run into him again, and that even, like, more cemented Mm. it, but one thing I do want to talk about before we start talking about the actual mission is the way that Bioware handles the DLC uh, companions or or crewmates in this game, versus just about every other Bioware game in existence. Like, for everything you just said, I can't really defend Zaid on, like, in terms of what's there in the game, but I feel like that what you're saying would absolutely not have been the case had they just treated him and Kasumi like normal fucking squad mates. I don't... like You just kind of talk at them, and then their rooms are like things where you can just kind of interact with an item, and then they will just talk at you about that item like they're Edie or something. Mm. And... That's it. You get like one cutscene when you first meet them, and even then, Zaid's is like painfully slim compared to Kasumi's. Because Kasumi's, you get like that interesting thing in the Citadel um, when you recruit her, and it's all like, "Oh, you know, come talk to this thing," and we're talking about all our this heist that we're going to pull off and all that kind of stuff. Zaid's just like beating up a dude, and he's like, "Oh, hey, go be part of your ship. Guess I'll walk over there now." <laughs> Um, so yeah he he's just there and you don't really have a choice in the matter either i feel like you can't just say like 
nah, it seems like you suck, dude. I think I'm going to leave you behind. Like, I'm good. Just get a refund or whatever. I don't really care. Elusive Man spent money. You can walk away with it. I don't care. But um, Saeed's just kind of there. I, I, okay. Not necessarily in his loyalty mission, but just, like, in his passing dialogue and things like that. Like, I think Zaid is, like, one of the biggest missed opportunities in this game just because... And it is, it is basically because of the way that they structured the way that you can have conversations with these characters is that, like, you, you fucking can't. And it's like... And I also feel like it's even more of a shame because Kasumi is, like, in the moments that you go with her, she is, like, such this appealing character to me. She's super charming and funny and maybe she kind of clashes. She has a personality. Yeah, and, like, she clashes a bit with Mass Effect, which is a whole other thing we'll get into when we talk about her specifically. But she has to, like, she struggles over things and has conflict mm-hmm. within herself that's more than just, oh, I hate that Vito. Oh, Vito. Oh, fuck you. You shot me in the face and I'm still alive, Vito. Oh, I see him all the time. He's in my bulging, viscous eye. He does have... <laughs> He does have that really good line, though, rage is a hell of an anesthetic, when, like, you got, you got shot in the head and survived? Yeah. So, so it's like, so let's, there's let's like... Get into okay, it. okay. It's, he is... So, as we find out, Zaid Masani is a former Blue Sun who escaped... Or, or not really escaped. He They thought they killed him because they tried to, like, overthrow him. His treacherous Lieutenant Vito was like... I I hate you because you don't have a personality. I should take over <laughs> because I don't have a personality either, and that's what mercs are in this game. <laughs> and uh, he overthrows uh, Zaid and shoots him in the head, but Zaid does not die because rage is a hell of an anesthetic. And Zaid has been chasing this dude for like 20 years, and his promise to Shepard and his loyalty mission is that if Shepard helps zaid take down Vito, then they'll you'll have zaid's loyalty and yeah and that's kind of long and short of it i mean so the the conflict and the choice here is that zaid being the wonderful pyromanic he is sets the place on fire and you kind of got to choose between saving the people that are at the facility or going after Vito. yeah let's 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 pull it back even a little bit because let's start with the approach to the base, which if you're trying to, let's say, assassinate somebody who has the capability of getting in a ship and flying away, you would think that you would want to have a bit more of a stealthy approach, mm-hmm. try and take the unseen path, perhaps, you know, avoid outright conflict and exploit any back doors into a situation that you might be able to find mm-hmm. as far as i can tell zaid's plan which is basically shepherd has just gone ah oh, screw it we'll just go with whatever zaid wants to do i'm along for the ride because that always works out well um it's just walking up to the damn front door and knocking and saying oh Vito, you shot me in the eye i'll kill you bro <laughs> <laughs> It's the it's mm. it's so bad, and so then you get in this firefight, and then Vito's like surround. Vito's got you surrounded, and Zaid's like, "Oh, I'm not dead yet," and shoots a gas tank to try and light Vito on fire, which hilariously does not work whatsoever. So it was like a complete who cares? Like, and then yeah, it gives you that option where it's like, well, we can either chase after Vito and probably catch him. 
or we can help these people and then still chase Vito because it's kind of on the way anyways. It's just a different, maybe slightly longer route to get there. And uh, Ken, you bring up a, a good point here that uh, you went after Vito mm-hmm. because you, once again, do not trust ME2's morality system to fuck you over. Right. To not fuck you over. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, obviously playing the Paragon Shep that I did, went to go save the people because, well, I didn't really care if Zaid was going to die in the suicide mission or not. I'm just here for experience and Paragon points. So, Fair enough. Um you go through this whole segment and you do get to pick up like a flamethrower and use it uh which is kind of neat and then you get to the end and i'm so i have actually never taken the route where you chase a veto do you have an actual boss fight with him at the end no zai just gets this badass moment where he gets to just blow him up and like it does really it does do this like cool thing because like after you get a character's loyalty they get a new uh ability and zaids mm-hmm. are like these incendiary grenades um and like the like the moment, like it kind of like establishes that you've gotten dude's loyalty is he pulls out one of those grenades and throws it at Vito, and like he burns, and then Zaid walks away from uh, the explosion like a boss. But then you don't have to have the conversation with him afterwards right. to like try and keep his loyalty. Yeah, I've always had to do that where Paragon checks you or Renegade checks you. Can you, uh, you can you get it without Renegade? If Vito gets away, or you can get it with uh, Renegade? you can. Yeah, you can get it with Renegade. Mm. Renegade is one of the options. Uh, so you can you can take that route and still save the people, which I think is still a Paragon option. Mm. But uh, then you can Renegade check through it, I believe. Mm. Um, okay. Either way, it's kind of a deflating moment because so you you go through this whole thing where it's like Vito's flying away, and I don't know if you've I've, ever I've seen, seen, I've seen this it. side of yeah, like you kind of hit the pilot of his ship and right. his ship goes down but you don't okay. really get any resolution hmm. as to what happens there whether they like recover the ship or whether they fly away or not and or whether it actually does crash there's like very little resolution that happens there and the whole mission just kind of felt like completely inconsequential i like i noted here it's a free dlc like that's and you know so who is to complain about something that is free but also like in the grand scheme of things like i don't feel like you used well so this... it's free it was free for people who pre-order right it was right. Like a pre-order dlc right. and then if you wanted to actually get the dlc after that you had to buy it i think, I think you had to buy even buy like because I'm, the... I'm pretty sure i had to buy it to or it was included in my season pass when i bought it for origin yeah because i'll just say like if, it's a if i tried to buy it separately yeah you had to buy like some kind of i don't think you could buy it separately i think you had to buy like, the equivalent of a season, season pass. pass or something um yeah yeah it, the ones there are two co- like things that are kind of cool about this is though it's one it is one of the situations where you can do the mission but lose loyalty which also happened with like Thane and samara and will happen with another character that we will get to next week um but also i don't know if you've ever seen this but if you do this after the suicide mission you can leave zaid to die you can do this after the the suicide mission. Yeah, like if you like whether like if he survived but you didn't to do the mission. I thought, I thought once you do the suicide mission, like or or you're like locked in. But yeah, the, like the maybe post-game. I'm thinking Mass. Maybe I'm thinking Mass Effect Three the way it like handles yeah. quote unquote post game yeah. there. Okay, so Mass Effect Two, you can do the loyalty or the suicide mission, and then go back and do other stuff that you had not done yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right, because that's how I played... I think that's how I played Lair of the Shadow Broker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, huh. So you could just leave him to die? Yeah, like, basically, it just goes, like, he's like, oh, get this thing I'm off me. I'm so sick of your shit. Basically, you're just like, you're, I don't need you, you're crazy, and so bye. Oh, you leave me to die, I'll just come back, I'm Superman, I'm Zaid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so on the opposite end of things, because I just don't have anything else to say about Zaid, it, I feel yeah. like we've said it enough, like, he's just there <laughs> and maybe even worse i don't even know if we'll talk about him when we talk about mass effect 3 because he shows up for all of like a side mission mm. and he has maybe the slimmest of attachments to what actually happens in that mission mm. and then you can go talk to him afterwards like you can with a lot of other um companions that you meet up with in that game but he again does not get an actual dialogue wheel right you can just kind of keep interacting with him and he will say things to you you know and at that... once you have walked away he disappears forever and you know at that <laughs> point like it feels almost like a reference to mass effect 2 just like the way they did it because like kasumi has a very similarly like short mission but like i haven't even run into okay. kasumi's yet and uh, well i this might be getting way ahead of ourselves but i'll say like on my I'm still working my way through Mass Effect 3, but uh, I just, I did the Leviathan DLC, and then I'm I'm about to head to Thessia, and I still have not had the Kasumi stuff. Oh, no. But that oh, might no. be because of a decision I made, so we can talk about that okay. right now, All because right. we're going to talk about Kasumi. Um, Kasumi's cooler. She I like is. Kasumi a lot more. Um, I When I first played Mass Effect 2, I did not have kasumi at all because uh i never really went back to it after the uh after my initial couple playthroughs so by the time they were rolling out dlc and stuff i was already on to other games i didn't really care about playing mass effect 2 again especially just for like one companion's storyline so i'd never really seen any of kasumi's stuff um granted so i said earlier in this episode that there was a specific reason why i did kasumi's mission earlier uh, that is because I knew that you got the SMG in her playthrough, mm. and I remembered that one from Mass Effect 3 very well, because I really loved it in Mass Effect 3, and it turns out that while it was pretty good in Mass Effect 3, it is probably the best gun in the game in Mass Effect 2. That, that... Tempest SMG really fucks shit up. The Locust. Locust. Yeah. Oh, it's the Tempest 3, though, right? The, the Tempest like, is a whole different that? gun. What? Yeah, they're two different guns. But it's it's the one I'm thinking of, the 50-shot clip, and it's, yeah, it's... Yeah, they're both SMGs yeah. that have, like... Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. Anyways, that gun, specifically, is incredible. Mm. It's so friggin' good. It's disgustingly <laughs> good. Worth, worth the price of admission. Exactly. It's it's worth paying to get that gun. Pay to win, if you will. Mm. <laughs> um, but Kasumi, at least, is an interesting character. She's kind of this side of humanity that you haven't seen yet because yeah. so far all the humans you've met have been like very military type right. uh you know they're all very rank and file even zaid you know he's a mercenary but he still very much embodies the same sort of characteristics that you would expect from like a jacob or a uh even in a mass effect one kaiden um, i know right <laughs> uh where they're just kind of like oh i'm excuse me let me get this a zaid voice right again <laughs> oh i like to shoot my gun and oh i hate Vito. shot me in the face <laughs> um, 
Whereas Kasumi gets like really cool abilities that nobody else has access to. She's like a stealth character. Yeah. She does this really cool execution thing where if you level it all the way up, she can like just execute enemies over and over and over again. It looks really cool. It's I like this mission because in the combat I would be fighting and I'd be like, why am I by myself? I'd look over on the other side of the battlefield and I'd see some like grunt chilling there and then Kasumi would just pop up and like pistol whip him to death, <laughs> disappear again. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, you go, Kasumi. You rule. <laughs> uh, but I, I want to hear your thoughts on Kasumi. I think, like, I, it is really a damn shame that MA2 does DLC characters dirty because there, like, there aren't a lot of characters like on on your squad specifically that seem to exist as sort of like comic relief. Like everyone has their moments, but like she's the one. Like even going forward to Citadel, like. There, like later in, in the Citadel DLC in Mass Effect Three, there's like a party happening. Kasumi doesn't really interact with everybody there. She just kind of she's cloaked the majority of the time, and then she'll like appear to do a one liner and then go away. So like it, it, it shows like like you said like a side of her. It's she's a side of humanity that we don't really see, um, and it makes me glad that the characters like like the DLC characters like Javik and Mass Effect Three are not handled in a similar way, and they get like proper arcs, etc. Um, but, but at least she has like that that's like an aspect of her personality it's like oh ha huh, that's you know there's kasumi mm-hmm. doing kasumi stuff again yeah like they do a better uh, job of like sort of defining her as a person and even if it is like it, it usually in like the confines of her loyalty mission because like again she gets the sort of environmental storytelling situation happening yeah um so so the setup of the loyalty mission is that you're infiltrating this this guy hawk who has who has some sort of mix of ethnic background that I cannot begin to fathom because his accent is just all over the place. <laughs> like at, at times I was like, Oh, this guy is uh, oh, he's, he's Scottish. No, wait, he's Spanish. No J- Jamaican. What? And like German is in there too. The way he like says words is strange. So I don't know if yeah. it's just the voice actor, but the whole DLC, I was trying to pin down Hawk's nationality, like where he hailed from. In mm. fact, I'm going to look that up real quick because that's something that I just need to know right now. Uh, let's see, Hawk Mass Effect Wiki. Let's find out together. Donovan Hawk. Oh man, come on. Give me something. The planet Beckenstein, that's where you are. It doesn't say. Oh no. Oh, Af- Afrikaans. Afri- Afrikaans? Afrikaans? A West Germanic language spoken in South Africa, Namibia, uh, and to a lesser extent, Botswana and Zimbabwe. Oh, I could see Zimbabwe. I can totally see mm. Zimbabwe correctly. <laughs> it's, so it evolved from the Dutch vernacular of South Holland spoken by the mainly dutch settlers of what is now south africa so it's like it is dutch by way of like an african mm. accent I see. that's really strange i never knew i've everyone who is listening to this who is not you know who is also an uncultured swine mm. like i am mm. is now learning something today and i'm just glad that we we're all along for the trip <laughs> That's interesting. Thank you, Mass Effect. Hawk sucks, man. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's just kind of like a big bad, and maybe the one thing that I didn't like about this mission was it doesn't do much to set up why he specifically had to be the one that stole KG's gray box, mm-hmm. which is the like, thing that we are going to recover. Yeah, and like, 
if you go to like his room and you like read through his files and stuff, like he's obsessed with the thing, but we don't really know why. Like it's we we eventually get like a hint of why, but it would have been nice to like in that span of time where we find out what the gray box is and why it's so important. Would have been nice to get some sort of tidbit as to why Donovan Hawk specifically was you know maybe he had some incriminating evidence on there that was like about him mm. or something like that um it kind of re- i don't know if you saw this movie ken but bad times at the el royale Mm-mm. that was um, the uh the Hemsworth movie right yeah wait, wait have you seen him no it's no he's not oh, oh okay um do you do you care no go ahead this is going to be mild spoilers everyone for bad times at the el royale um at the end of the movie you find out that like one of the big treasures that everyone's looking for is not like a secret stash of money but it's like a roll of film that is incriminating about someone in the u.s government and that may sound like i'm being vague to avoid spoilers but no that's literally all you find out and then they Mm -hmm. just toss it in the fire and they're like who cares jesus and that was it and i was just yeah i remember sitting there watching it i'm like all right what (laughs) <laughs> like, and i guess the big point they tried to make was like oh it doesn't matter we're just moving on with our lives and we don't care about the the big stuff happening out there in the world we'll just leave it at the el royale but that's bad that's and and i feel the same way about this where i'm like you needed some reason for this all to be happening and right. trying to wave it off with like a oh things just happen for there doesn't need to be a reason man you get to pull that existential shit on me okay <laughs> like um that's my rant about hawk but this whole mission is really cool in the way it's structured where you're kind of pulling off this heist and doing all these different steps that almost it's almost mass effect by way of oceans 11 and that part of it is really cool and i think the best part of this dlc um, except for maybe the ending i I did like the way it ended the Mm. choice it gave you but um there is some interesting stuff that we do stumble into as far as lore, because once we get inside Hawk's vault, uh, Ken here, I did not examine all the stuff that was in the vault. I maybe only looked at half of it, and I was just like, whatever, I'm getting the SMG, I'm bouncing out of here. But uh, once we're in the vault and getting the gray box, you kind of have the option to look around at some stuff, and you found some interesting lore stuff hidden away in Hawk's vault, Ken. Yeah, I'm trying to see if I can pull up the actual like codex entry that it has, so I don't have to just use my botched description i will say one of the things that was in there um besides what ken is pulling up right now was a dragon age origins enemy which i also noticed was like super weird because when i thought about it i was like oh yeah like that would be the only dragon age game that was out now but it was um i I even forget what they're called in that game it was just like a, a demon the demon enemies uh i think it's the one that's supposed to represent pride or maybe wrath because mm. they all kind of get named after different deadly sins like i remember there's a lust one that's super annoying and um so i think that one is the wrath demon but it was a super super weird tie-in that i was like okay yeah that's definitely there that's neat like i thought the ones the tie-ins that they do in mass effect 3 for dragon age 2 were a little bit clever and like took a little besides the blood dragon armor which just looks silly but um, yeah that's a... like in mass effect 3 they they do this whole thing where oh one of the ships that you're searching for is named the kirk wall and stuff like that i was like oh that's a clever little mm. tie-in like you know people who have played the game and really care will be like oh that's nice but it's not this big like what the heck is this doing in here and why is the <laughs> game so adamant that i like look at it and clap 
I don't know. Uh. Uh, so basically, Hawk has like the head of the Statue of Liberty, and the that in itself is like weird. Like, how could could you manage to get something like that off one planet and onto another? But like, do you well, go? Because we blew it up. I guess so. Fools, we blew it up. <laughs> like you, you examine it, and then you read a codex entry, and it talks about like. They've got, like, this elaborate story as, like, the state of the United States of America. And apparently it's, like, Canada and the United States and Mexico are all one. Like, it's it's sort of like Australia is, where it's a country and a Oh, the continent has become, yeah. Yeah, it's like, I think they call it, like, United North American States. Yeah, that's what they call it. Um, And then, so, like, I I didn't know that. I guess I somehow, in the course of ten years, never looked at that and never like read the codex entry about it but it's like it made me wonder just like how much like small codex entries and shit do they have that kind of like gives more concrete descriptions as to what the state of earth is like because like we don't really ever look at earth as a concept until mass effect 3 and like what is how it has changed and like this is like 200 years from now Mm. and so like that was just interesting to me that they like had this sort of concrete description in a way that they don't typically have yeah, now that I think about it, like, even with Earth, our only really big exposure to it is London, because that's where the game begins, I believe, right? And then uh, well, obviously no, the it, game ends. I mean, it ends in London, but it begins in Toronto, but they don't explicitly tell you that. That you was have, Toronto? That was Toronto. And the only reason that I know that is because of concept art that specifically labels it as such. That, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, like, Toronto the, got an upgrade. Yeah. <laughs> I would think it's like, Ooh. they don't... You, because, like, in, when they use London, they have, like, Big Ben. They have, like, these landmarks that you can point to, but they right. don't look at anything in Toronto that says that it's Toronto. Yeah. Man, you don't... It's almost like Toronto has no discernible landmarks yeah. other than being called Toronto. <laughs> I'm sorry for all Torontoans listening <laughs> to this. <laughs> hey, drag me about Texas all you want. You could just be like, oh, it's obviously Texas because it's still He's in a can pie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... We eventually get through the vault, we get KG's gray box, and we have to fight Hawk's dumb, stupid ship that's just kind of a bullet sponge. Magically regenerating all the time. Yeah. That was... It's not a fun boss fight. It, like, starts out kind of neat, because you're like, oh, I'm fighting a ship, this is cool, and then you kind of realize it's basically the same thing that you did in the Archangel mission, mm. but more annoying. And Until Kasumi, like, anime takes it down. Uh-huh. Then Kasumi gets to be awesome, and I'm like, where has this been the entire game? Uh, please do more of this in fights, please. Please do this uh, to the human reaper, baby. Exactly. Oh, we're not there yet, Ken. Come on now. We've referenced <laughs> enough when we, we like, can, far we away We spoil shit. bad times at the El Royale, but we will not spoil the video game that we are putting a retrospective on Fine. Fine. Uh, and so, once again, Ken and I differ on choices but i think this is one that has actually interesting differing paths uh you chose to destroy kg's gray box Mm. full of incriminating council data but also still retaining the memories and personality of kg right uh i did not i Mm. let kasumi keep it uh i will say my reasoning i'll let ken go um mine was basically that even though I think it's bad for her to have that emotional crutch. And I was like, even after I did it, I was like, oh man, you know, maybe I should have just destroyed it because she needs to like move on. And 
uh, I wasn't really worried about it falling into the wrong hands because I'm like, okay, like, yeah, a, a couple of dudes who suck are going to get caught for being, like, sucky people. Who cares? Like, whatever. We, bigger fish to fry, but I let Kasumi keep it because I was like, she, you know, means a lot to her. And, you know, I want her to be able to determine. It's it's not my place to determine this thing. It's her place. Right. So, uh, your reasoning, Ken, for your atrocities. <laughs> just because it's a renegade decision doesn't mean it's an atrocity um so my thing is like it's KG leaves in his like dying message that he wants his to destroy it because there is this incriminating shit on it and people will come after her it'll make her a target and so like that that's sound reasoning I'm just kind of like yes it is this really important thing that means something to you I mean keep like, keep the actual box itself as like a memento but like the data on it needs to be destroyed because it is putting you in danger it is like like, yes, you're a master thief. Yes, nobody knows you. Like, she, she even has this good line. She's like, I'm the best thief in the business, not the most well-known. But people will find you if they are looking for this data. If it is as important as KG thought it was, you're going to be a target. And you can hide for a while, but you're not going to be able to hide forever. So why just, just like, nip it in the bud? Come on. Yeah. It, it is kind of a weird cross between you want her to be able to determine her own, you know, future forward, but you also want her to be able to like, um, not, you know, still hold on to it and obviously like not cause trouble for herself. Uh, I kind of wish we got more out of this than, you know, we, we don't really see the ramifications here. And as I, as I understand it, this does affect things in mass effect three on a small scale. So mm. just in, in short terms, was the decision I made, did that prevent Kasumi from showing up in Mass Effect 3? No, I think that you might have missed her story. Like, it might still be available now, but I would recommend just, like... Like, for the sake of our the requirements yeah. and stuff like that? No, it's not requirements. I think you need to go and find it now, because I do know from the however many times I've played through Mass Effect 3, if you miss it, Kasumi dies. Oh, well, that's not good. Yeah. Can't have that happening. I already mm. killed off somebody. Mm. Um pretty sure kelly chambers bit the dust because i don't think i ever found her and did the thing i needed to do to save her before the coup uh you happened, can so you can only see her if you romance her in, the first, in mavic 2 oh okay that's better i was like that was hanging over my head i was like cool i already killed somebody yeah <laughs> um yeah so n- we're kind of at the point now where you know we've got some loyalty missions left but there's there's not much road left so nope. uh to to kind of go over what our last few episodes here are for mass effect 2 um this coming week will be tally and legion uh which i'm very excited for those mm-hmm. are two very very good loyalty missions and joining us to talk about them will be not one but two guests Ooh. uh mr john phipps of the super deformed games cast and he recently informed us he will be bringing along a guest, uh, Mr. Shinobi of Twitter fame, which is <laughs> just about the only way that I, I know him at all. I don't think I've ever actually learned his mysterious real name, and I like to keep the mystique up. So that's those will be our two guests to talk about, Tally and Legion. And then the week after that, I believe, is our loyalty mission, or loyalty mission, suicide mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll be bringing it home and then the weeks after we will have uh lair of the shadow broker which i'm very excited to talk about and then arrival uh which will 
set up our Mass Effect 3 season, which we are already in the midst of planning and planning some big fun stuff for y'all, getting our galaxy readiness prepared. Mm -hmm. I need to jump into multiplayer at some point and really see like where that scene is at and if it Mm -hmm. still exists. I imagine it might on PC. It seems like it would, but you never know. Everybody's probably like level 100. And so I'll be jumping in there with like the worst Mm -hmm. uh, character, like level one, just die immediately to like, I don't know, one of the husks. (laughs) Nice. Uh, but that'll do it here for a very, very, very short episode of uh, Norm DFM. We're just kind of doing some housekeeping and, and getting ready. So, yeah. Yeah. See you next week on <laughs> Norm DFM. Bye-bye. Yeah,